while the squirrels are back in the attic. Mom? Your dad won't call an exterminator. Can I call you back, Mom? He says it's personal this time. If you're a mom, you call at the worst time. It's what you do. If you want to save 15% or more on car insurance, you switch to GEICO. It's what you do. Where are you? It's very loud there. Are you taking a Zumba class? Oh, it's so good to see everybody this weekend. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. What a great day it is to celebrate the goodness of God. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, one of the most influential women in the last hundred years was a lady that was known as Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, her father passed away when she was just eight years old. And her mom raised her, a single mom, a widow, raising her. You don't read a lot about Mother Teresa's mom, but her mom is one of those unsung heroes who steps up, overcomes, raises her daughter as a person of faith. And that daughter, at a very early age, devotes herself to Christ. She becomes one of the sisters of Loretto. And then when she's 36 years old, she feels a calling to serve the poorest of the poor over in India. She founds the Missionaries of Charity. It starts with 13, and now is a group of over 4,000 folks who serve people around the world. In 1979, she received the Nobel Peace Prize. And when she was being interviewed by the media, and they asked her, you know, the work that you do and all that you know... What could we do? There's so much conflict in the world. What could we do to promote more peace? And this is what she said. If you want to promote peace, go home and love your family. Isn't that a great statement? If you want to promote peace in the world, Go home and love your family. In other words, if you want to change the world, it doesn't start with the world. It starts in the home. And if you get more love in the home, then you'll have more love in the hood. And if you get more love in the hood, then you have more love in the city. And if you get more love in the city, then you have more love in the state. If you have more love in the state, you have more love in the nation. If you want to change the world... It starts right there in the home. And so for the next few moments, here's what I'd like you to think with me about. How can we make our homes, whatever your home looks like, how can we make that home a place where the love is lived out? It's one of our core values here at Cathedral of Faith. The cathedral is a, a place where everyone is and where nobody is, and where anything is, and where the love is lived. This is what we want our church home to be. How could we take this core value and drive it deeply into our homes, whatever that home looks like today? And to help us think about this, I'd like you to take a trip with me to our kitchen. And my wife is an amazing lady. She's been married to me for 35 years. Can we give it up for my wife right over here? That qualifies her for sainthood. And she is an amazing uh, cook, especially when it comes to baking. 
She bakes cookies and breads and pies. It's hard to maintain my figure (laughs) with all that good food around her house. In fact, she makes this four-layer chocolate cake that is to die for. If there's a chocolate cake in the house, I might as well go buy a bigger pair of pants because I am powerless to resist it. Now, I, I would share that recipe with you today, but if I did, I'd have to kill you because it's a family secret. But what I'd like to do is take the ingredients that she uses, some of the ingredients for that recipe, and share with you today, what would it look like? What are the ingredients? Pastor Ken, if I want to build a home with this core value, I want my home to be a place where the love is lived out. What are some of the ingredients that go into creating that kind of home? Well, you can find them on your outline. You can also find that outline on your app. Let's think about that for the next few moments. First of all, if I'm going to make my home a place where the love is lived out, I need to add a cup of loving loyalty to the mix. Loyalty, say that word with me, loyalty. As I mentioned, I do have a wonderful wife and I also have a wonderful mother-in-law. I really do. She lived with us for 10 years. Now, anytime I say that, my wife corrects me and says, it was nine years. And then I say, honey, it felt like it was. And that always takes me back to a couple's retreat that I read about where they were asking, what would you do if you had six months to live? And one of the guys in the back of the room raised his hand and said, if I had six months to live, I would move in with my mother-in-law. And everybody thought, what a nice answer. And then he continued, I'd move in with my mother-in-law because I would still only have six months to live, but it would be the longest six months of my life. (laughs) One of the greatest examples of loyal love that you find in the Bible is between a daughter and of all people, Her mother-in-law, the daughter's name is Ruth, and the mother-in-law, her name is Naomi, and tragedy hits their home, and they both end up as widows. Now, if you were a widow in that culture, especially if you were an older widow, your future was very uncertain. There were no life insurance policies to cash in, no social security safety nets to watch out for you. As an older widow, just trying to survive was going to be a very big deal. And Naomi figures that her best shot at surviving is by going back to her home country, back to her hometown, and maybe there she can find some mercy and grace. But she looks at her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and Ruth is still young and beautiful. She knows that she has a great future ahead for her. And so she says, Ruth, go and follow your dreams. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. And this is what Ruth says to her mother-in-law. 
She says, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. That is what loyal love looks like. We're committed to each other. This is what gives stability to a home. This is what gives security to a home. It's what gives a home its staying power, this loyal love that we have for each other. It's a little bit like this flower here in the bowl. If you take this flower, these dry ingredients, and you hold them up, it just falls apart. It just falls apart. But if you add some ingredients, you add this, this milk right here, and then you take this egg and you, whoops, cake's going to be a little crunchy today, amen. Pastor Ken thinks he's the cake boss. But when you take this and you stir it up, this becomes the bonding element. This is what makes the flower sticky. And the same thing is true when it comes to loyal love that we have for each other. This is what makes the home sticky. This is what binds the home together. When we, like Ruth, say to each other, I will go where you go, and I will stay where you stay. It's this kind of loyal love that we have for each other. That's what keeps the home together. And yet that's not always easy. Because sometimes the people in our home, they can go to very dark and difficult places. And maybe that's where you're at today. When you walk in these doors, your loyal love is being tested. You have a mom that's suffering from dementia. Wow, that's a difficult place. Or you have a kid that has a substance problem. That's a difficult place. Or you have a spouse that's going through midlife crisis. That's a difficult place. And you look at the love that you have, and you say to yourself, Pastor Ken, I don't know, just being real, I don't think I have what it takes to maintain that loyal kind of commitment that I need. The best thing you can do, if you're in that situation today where your loyal love is being tested, the best thing you can do is take your eyes off of them and put your eyes on God. And when you look up to God, amen, when you look up to God and his loyal love for you, in the Old Testament, there's a word that's used 168 times. And the word speaks of the kind of love that God has for us. And scholars say that it's a very difficult word to translate because it's so rich in meaning. 
But the best translation they can come up with is this, that God has a loyal affection for you. That the main thing God wants you to know about his love is that he's loyal to you. That where you go, he will go. And where you stay, he will stay. That he's committed to you and he will not let you go. That he's in your corner when you're cornered. That he'll see you through when others see you through. That when everyone else walks out, God is the one who walks in. That he is with you and he is for you. He has a loyal affection for his people. Amen. Let's give God praise. Hallelujah. That's how God feels about us. And when you get a hold of the love of God, the loyal love of God, and that loyal love fills your heart, and God gives you the strength to establish that kind of love in your home. What does it look like to have a home, to be a home where the love is lived out? Well, there's loyalty, and then secondly, there's listening. Add a pinch of loving listening to the mix. I had someone tell me one time, they said, Ken, they said, grandkids are God's reward to you for you not killing your own kids. <laughs> Grandparents, does that sound about right? I, I, one of my, oh, my youngest grandson, you can see him up here, little Chase. That guy is so cute, and we have so much fun. He, the only, you know, his vocabulary is a bit limited, but he can say Papa, and that's enough for me. And when I pick him up and he says, Papa, I have to be looking at him. If I'm looking this way or looking this way, he takes his hand, he puts them on my cheeks, and he turns my face toward him. Because if he talks to me, I need to be paying attention. <laughs> Papa, look at me. And all of us, at a very early age, it shows up. All of us, we need to be heard. We need to be seen. And if I'm going to create a home where the love is lived out, if I will become a loving listener in that home, and I will set aside my cell phone, can somebody say amen to that? <laughs> set aside that cell phone and really give my home the full attention that when I'm present, I'm really present. And I listen to what they're saying, and I listen to how they're feeling, and I listen to where they're coming from. When I'm present, I'm fully present, and I listen to their struggles, and to their needs, and to their fears, and to their dreams. God gave us two ears, and one mouth, so we'll lecture less and listen more. And if I create a home where people know that they are heard and they are seen, can I tell you one of the best gifts you could give your mother on this Mother's Day is to give that mom your full attention? I found this one 
uh, Minion who said this. He said, if a woman speaks and no one is listening, her name is probably mom. (laughs) And moms, even though they can be surrounded by people, can feel like they're invisible. There was one, one lady who wrote an article about this very thing. See if you can identify with this. The blank stares, the lack of response, the way one of the kids will walk into the room while I'm on the phone and ask to be taken to the store. Inside, I'd think, can't you see I'm on the phone? Obviously not. No one can see if I'm on the phone or cooking or sweeping the floor or even standing on my head in the corner. No one can see me because I'm invisible. Even a mom surrounded by people can feel like she's invisible. And one of the best gifts you could give to your mom. Maybe when you came to church this weekend, right now you're surrounded by people. But you kind of feel like you're invisible. And if you would just be heard, if you could just be seen. There's a lady in the Bible who felt like that. Her name was Hagar. Now, Hagar had loaned out her womb to become pregnant and carry a child for an infertile couple. But this infertile couple, Abraham and Sarah, once Hagar gets pregnant, things get really complicated. And the wife starts mistreating Hagar. In fact, if you read Genesis 16, where the story is found, it's the first time I noticed this. Abraham and Sarah never refer to Hagar by name. They call her the servant. They call her the maid. Things get so bad in the house, and Sarah is treating Hagar so badly that this pregnant lady... Hagar, she runs away from the household, and now there she is, feeling all alone, feeling abandoned, feeling invisible, but then God shows up. When God shows up, friend, others may not call you by name, but God calls you by name. God knows your name, and God calls you by name. Others may not see you, but God sees you. And God shows up and he speaks a blessing to her. He tells her that his blessing would be upon her and his blessing would be upon her offspring. And after her encounter with God, this deep need that she had in her heart, God meets that need. And Hagar becomes the first one to give God a name. And she says, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. The best news today is that we are seen by God. We are not invisible. We are seen by God. Amen. God hears us. God sees us. And if we will take that same thing into our homes. And, well, God sees us, and if we will see others, 
it can transform the atmosphere in our home. If I'm going to have a loving home, it, it takes some loyalty and it takes some listening. And it also takes some lessons, what I call loving lessons in the mix. Let's add a bit of that. Lessons. I found this video of these kids who were imitating their moms. Watch the screens and see if you can identify with this. Look straight ahead. Here we go. Show us what it's like to run like a mom. Like my mom? Yeah, like Come on, we're late again. Hurry up. Hurry, hurry, hurry. We have to go now. We have to go now. My mom doesn't run. She power walks. No time. There's never time. I'm exhausted. Moms identify with that. There are always lessons that are being taught in the homes. I mean, the, the first things we learn about our self-image and our core values and our social skills, all of those things are learned first in the home. But the most important lessons that are learned, everybody lock in on this. The most important lessons you will ever give to your kids or your grandkids are the lessons that they learn about God. That faith is meant to be transferred from one generation to another generation to another generation. Here's one cathedral family where that's happened. Four generations from Edna to Deanna to Melissa to Michaela. Can we give God praise? Four generations. Faith is passed down. It's the most important lesson that you will ever give to your kids, passing on your faith from one generation to another. Now, you can't make them take your faith on. They have to make that decision for, your, for themselves. But what you can do is you can put that cake right in front of them. And you can... Share your faith with them, and they can taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. And when they do, when they see an authentic, joyous faith being lived out before them, boy, it can transfer from one generation to another. This is what happens to one man in the Bible. He's a hero in the early church. He was a missionary, a pastor, became a bishop, was eventually martyred, clubbed to death because of his faith. St. Timothy was a hero in every way, but behind every hero, there's always a shero, and all the women said amen to that. And this was true in the life of Timothy. His dad, it doesn't seem like his dad's a believer, but his mom's a believer, his grandma's a believer, and they pass on their faith to him. And when Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, I remember your honest and true faith. It was alive first in your grandmother, Louis, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am certain that it is now alive in you also. When we pass on our faith, it's creating champions of the faith from one generation to another generation. The most important thing you will ever do for your kids or your grandkids is to model an authentic, joyous faith before them. 
And when you do, that's one of, I want to pause just a moment, call a timeout. And I want to give you props for being here this weekend. Because you made a decision. We live in the Bay Area. There are all kinds of activities that are vying for your attention. But you made a decision that worship is a priority for me, that I'm going to come to church and I'm going to worship God. Amen. Way to go, Cathedral. Way to go. I want to give you props. Because when you, when you do that, when you model that worship is a priority, it says something to that next generation. I mean, it did for me. My, my parents, early on, they modeled for me that worship is a priority. And I, I just kind of picked it up, that worship would be a priority for me. I internalized that value, that core value. And it showed up in the craziest of ways. I have always enjoyed sports. Anybody see the Sharks game last night? It was awesome. How about the Warriors game Saturday night? How about that, huh? I've always enjoyed sports. I love playing sports as a kid. I especially love baseball. And I was was pretty good at baseball. In fact, the older I get, the better I was. Amen. I'm a legend in my own mind. And I can remember when I was 15 years old, 15 years old, boy, I was at the peak of my baseball career, and I had a great year, batted almost 500, made the all-star team. That's where you're supposed to clap, right there. Everybody's supposed to clap. Way to go, Ken. Doesn't get any better than that for me. That's it. Peak of my career. But I was picked unanimously. There were only two kids that were picked unanimously to be on the all-star team. I was one of them. And the all-star team was going to go and play other all-star teams around the state. And we got the schedule. And can you believe it? The schedule for the all-star games interfered and overlapped with our church family camp. And when I saw that, I was disappointed. But do you know, I never gave it a second thought. My parents didn't tell me what to do. I never gave it a second thought. I went up to the coach and I said, Coach, I'm very grateful for being selected to the all-star team. But our church family camp is that same week. So you need to have one of the alternates take my place. Because church is a priority for me. You see, I knew baseball lasts for a time, but worship and God and faith lasts forever. Amen. It wasn't a part of my life that I was trying to squeeze in. Faith was central to my life. So way to go, Cathedral. Because when we model a relationship authentic with God. We'd say to our kids and our grandkids, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. I get to do that all four services. Amen. I'm going to be on the treadmill for an hour and a half. Now that brings us to the last idea as we wrap things up. The last idea is this. Add a tablespoon of laughter, loving laughter to the mix. If I'm going to build a home where the love is lived out, laughter, say that with me, 
laugh. Say it again. Laughter. The Bible says a cheerful heart is good medicine. It's good medicine for the heart, and it's good medicine for the home. In fact, I'm going to invite you to do something with me if you're comfortable doing this. I'm going to invite you to do this with me because I'll tell you in a minute why it's so important. But on the count of three, I want you to make yourself laugh. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't know if I can do that. Give it your best shot. On the count of three, it's very important. On the count of three, wherever you're watching, on the count of three, make yourself laugh. Are you ready? One, two, three. <laughs> Way to go, Cathedral. All right. Why is that so important? What you just did is so very important. I read about this one couple who they were saving up to buy tickets, season tickets for football, and they had $1,000 in a drawer in an envelope in the desk. Now, at the same time, they had also been teaching their two-year-old boy how to use the paper shredder. And one day, those two things met up together, and they went to look for the envelope. They didn't find it. They looked in the garbage, and there was $1,000 shredded in the trash can. Now, the wife says at first she cried, but then she, <laughs> she said, as devastated and as sick as we were, this was one of those moments where you just have to laugh. Laughter therapy, experts say, is like a shock absorber for the human soul that helps you navigate the potholes of life. Laughter is a key that when you learn to laugh, it lowers your blood pressure, it reduces your risk for heart attack, it improves your immune system, it even helps with your pain management. And here's what experts have discovered. It doesn't matter whether it's a planned laugh like we did or an unplanned laugh. Either way, it helps you out. <laughs> a cheerful heart is good for the heart, and it's good for the home. And maybe that's the one word. All the other stuff has been okay, but that's the one word that you need to hear today because it's been so very long. As you look at your home, it really has. It's been so very long since you heard the sound of laughter in your home, joy in your home. Now, one of the things I learned growing up, people will ask, what was it like to grow up in your home? One of the things about our home was it was a place where there was a lot of laughter. My dad laughed, my mom laughed, my brother laughed, and, and even me, the, the firstborn who tends to be way too serious about everything, even I learned to laugh. And my mom, can I tell you about my mom? I took her out on a date recently. We went to see Tom Jones. Some of you didn't know he was still alive. 
And if you're under 40, you're saying, who in the world is Tom Jones, right? Well, Tom Jones is kind of like the Justin Bieber of the day. And in the 60s and 70s, he had his own TV show, and he, I mean, he had number one hits. And so I take mom to see 77-year-old Tom Jones down at the San Jose Performing Arts Center, and it's packed. And sure enough, we run into somebody from Cathedral, because Cathedral, we are everywhere. And my mom and I, we had a great time. We sang those old songs, and we laughed. And when the evening was done, I dropped her off. I called her the next morning. It had been a late evening, and I thought, I better check on mom, see how she's doing. And she answers the phone, and the first thing she says is this, Tom, how did you get my phone number? Are you kidding me? I was so taken back, I thought my mama lost it. I thought she doesn't know who I am. And then I realized my mom is sharp as a tack. She still has that great wit. Here's what I learned in our home. I learned that you can be a godly home and have a lot of laughter and a lot of joy. And maybe that's what God wants to give to you and to your home, to restore the laughter and restore the joy. Speaking of my mom, we had a chance to, well, my daughter and my wife and my mom had a chance to sit down and talk to her about what it's like to be a mom. Watch the screens and listen to what my mom had to say. Okay, so um, we're going to start with just, let's just loosen everybody up. So I'm going to give you two options, and then you're just going to tell me your favorite one of the options. Okay, cats or dogs? Cats. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burgers or tacos? Look, that's getting harder because <laughs> I'm getting, I used to love burgers, but now I'm kind of favoring tacos. In fact, that's what I asked Kurt to bring me for dinner tonight. That's great. He hit it right on the nose. Our last one, Kurt or Ken? Oh. <laughs> how about how about a hard one? Or an easy one? <laughs> All right. So both. Both. <laughs> Tell us a little bit. What was it like raising my dad? I, I enjoyed him so much. I enjoyed his ball playing. His little league, his peewee league. I've just enjoyed Ken so much. So I heard a story about um, when he was a kid and you guys got in the car, you and Popo would argue a little bit about who would drive because the other person would have to entertain him. You're exactly right. <laughs> you are exactly right. Because he was constant go. He was always on the move. What do you think are some of the greatest challenges have been for you? I haven't had perfect sense. No, they haven't been perfect, but they have been wonderful. 
and I've enjoyed every span of their life. Right now, I just my greatest challenge is making sure I don't die from sleep deprivation. <laughs> but I think too, you know, and the challenge is a lot of times, you know, it's not always easy, but you have so much love for your kids, and even in all these challenges, um, you know, your love for them is really what brings you through everything. And you forget about it. And you forget about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> Something wrong with me? No. <laughs> okay. I, I think that love gets you through, and I also think that uh, your faith, knowing that uh, you're a, a caretaker for these individuals, yes, you're their parent, you're their mother, but ultimately that they're gods, and he has his own design and his own plan, and you don't hold that pen in your hand, you don't get to write that story. God, that the individual gets to write that story, and that God gets the last word. So even when you're in the middle of challenges, just knowing it's, you know, God's not done. There's always, you know, there's always more coming and he's always at work. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you have any advice for moms out there? Um, new moms, moms that might be going through challenges? All I can say, everybody out there, love your children. Love your children. Give them so much love. They may make a mistake or two, but they're not perfect. And don't expect them to be perfect because I'm sure most of us haven't been perfect all our life. We may have stumbled at some time. Don't try to be perfect yourself, but be the best you can. The very best you can. Thank you, Mom. Wow. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand wherever you're at on campus. Stand with me, please, and bow your heads for just a moment. Close your eyes. I'm going to ask my wife and my daughter to join me up here on the platform. And we want to pray with you and for you. Before we do, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would say, Pastor Ken, I've never really stepped across the line and declared that I'm a follower of Jesus. I know about Jesus. I've heard about Jesus. But I, I've never stepped across the line and surrendered my life to Christ. And today you want to say yes to his loyal love for you. And I want to take just a moment out, and that's the decision you're making today. I want to agree with you that this is your moment. This is your day. You're becoming a follower of Jesus. If that's you, would you lift up your hand real high and say, Pastor Ken, that's me today. God bless you. God bless you. Right here, God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. God loves you so much. Right over here up in the balcony. God bless you. God bless you. Right over here. This is your day. This is your day, bud. This is your day. Amen. I want to say a prayer for you and for all of us today, whatever your home looks like today, our church home, our personal home, that we would be a place where that love is lived out. I'm going to join hands with my wife and my daughter. We want to pray with you and for you. Father, thank you for those today that are making decisions to follow you. You have a loyal love for them. 
You've been waiting for them to turn back to you and all heaven rejoices at this moment. And I pray for every home, whatever that home looks like today. God, I pray that you would make that home a target of your favor and that joy and love would fill that home today. God, that we would see each other, really see each other in that home. And Father, that your blessing would be upon every home, every person, every workplace, and on our church home. God, let us always be a place where your loyal love is celebrated and rejoiced in. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' glory, all God's people said, Amen. amen. Can we give God praise for his loyal love for us? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God is good all the time. time. 